Father, we need to feel in the deepest recesses of who we are as people. We need to have a passion for the message of this text. Father, we pray as we read and study this section of Scripture that you would give us a fire in our hearts, a burden for evangelism, a love for the lost, that you would work in us, that we would care less about things in our life that don't matter eternally, and we would care more about things that will go on forever. Father, we need the perspective. We need the truth of what this chapter teaches. We need to be transformed so that we not just know this, but believe it and live it for your glory. So will you meet us here? Will you make this truth to come alive in our hearts? Will you give us a conviction? And will you change us for your glory? In Christ's name, amen. Why are you here? It's Sunday, we come to church, right? No, not not why are we here, why are we here? Why are you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as those purchased through the person and work of Jesus, redeemed, forgiven, changed, Why are we here? Why is our church here? Why here in Granbury? Why do we gather together? What are we doing? If you're like me, I think I know the answer to those questions but I don't regularly live in light of those answers. And I believe that we need the perspective of these two chapters to reset the compass of our hearts, to create a desire, a focus, um, a laser-like precision into what we're doing here. We are here for one reason alone, and that is to bring glory to our Father through the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the end that many men and women would be saved and rescued from sin and transferred to the kingdom of Christ and live with Him forever. And we need help that that is what bleeds out of us, that that is where our hearts and minds gravitate toward on a day-to-day basis. Listen to the missionary David Brainerd. 
I care not where I go or how I live or what I endure so that I may save souls. When I sleep, I dream of them. When I awake, they are first in my thoughts. No amount of scholastic attainment, of able and profound exposition, of brilliant and stirring eloquence can atone for the absence of a deep, impassioned, sympathetic love for human souls. Is that the kind of heart you want? Oh, that we would have a heart like Mr. Brainerd. When we wake up, we think about our work. When we go to sleep, we dream about our work. And all throughout our day, we, we prayerfully micromanage each situation to try to bring about the work that God has given us. Well, if you haven't already turned there, if you would turn with me in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, I'm going to walk you through these two chapters. It, it, we're going to go through a, a little walk through the park, so to speak, and, and we're not going to have... Um, a whole lot of time to stop and look at every flower and every shrub along the way in our tour. But there are some themes here that we need. There are some points here that we know, but we need to feel them. We need to to embrace them. We need to pray that this is how we would think and this is how we would act as we think about being faithful ministers to the gospel. Uh, the Apostle Paul, as he unfolds for the Corinthians what gospel ministry is about, uh, the, the sort of key components that we need to be faithful to the work, he wants us to see seven key elements here of gospel ministry that will, will hopefully transform our hearts and make us passionate and equipped for the work God called us to do. Let's look at the first key as we strive to understand our mission and to have the right heart for gospel ministry. The, the first key, and, and um, as, as you, before I get into this, as you see with me each one of these keys, I want you to be asking yourself the question, how does this relate to the people in my life right now that I'm trying to minister the gospel to? As we come to this, I want you to think of your neighbor. I want you to think of your grandchildren. I want you to think of that coworker. I want you to think of your children, maybe even your adult children. I want you to think about that conversation you had with somebody, a total stranger, this last week. I want you to ask yourself the question, what is what I'm learning here, how can that help me with those relationships, with those people in those situations when I don't know what to say or I don't feel like I did a good job or think, think practically and, and I'll try to give you some, some pointers as we go through this, okay? So, so seven keys for effective gospel ministry. Let's look at the first one. This is the nature of gospel ministry. If you, if you uh, want to follow along in the outline, uh, there's a 
There should be one in your bulletin. This first one is the nature of gospel ministry. The nature of gospel ministry. Battle satanic spiritual blindness with the glorious light of the gospel. Battle satanic spiritual blindness with the glorious light of the gospel. And we'll see this in chapter 4. We'll work our way into chapter 5. So we'll start in chapter 4. Let's look first at verses 3 to 6. Paul writes this, And even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Your mission is to take deaf people to the orchestra. Your mission is to take a group of blind people to go watch a fireworks spectacular. And all they're going to do is be scared because all they're going to hear is hear the booms. They're not going to see anything. The nature of gospel ministry is unfolding the picture of Jesus to people who can't see. This is mission impossible. We battle this satanic spiritual blindness. This is why... Ministry seems so difficult. This is why ministry seems so ineffective. Have you ever talked to somebody about Jesus and it's like you're talking to a wall? They get offended. They don't get it. What what is obvious to you and me, they're oblivious to. And this text, Paul tells us why that's true. They're blind. Their spiritual faculties to see and embrace the gospel, are missing. They don't operate right. And the reason they don't operate correctly, according to this text, just look back at it, is there is a satanic spiritual blindness. The God of this world, this text tells us, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. So they can't see the light of the gospel. You're saying, look at the light. And they're saying, what light? You're saying, hear the beautiful music of the gospel, and they can't hear. Now, why would Paul tell us this? I think he tells us this for at least a couple of reasons. The first is, who is the true enemy? Is the true enemy of the gospel, of our mission, is the true enemy unbelievers? The true enemy is the God of this world that has blinded unbelievers. They are responsible victims. Yes, they will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, they have rejected the gospel. Yes, they are totally culpable for that. But there's a very real sense in which which they are victims of the spiritual blindness imposed by the God of this world. And we need to remember that. The devil is the enemy. The work of darkness is the enemy. 
The unbelievers are our mission field. They need rescue. They are accountable. They are culpable. But they need rescue. The other thing we need to remember is we should not be surprised when ministry seems to fail. Right? When it seems to not go well. In fact, this is... Do you remember the call of Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 6. Here I am. Send me, Lord. And God says, okay. I want you to go to a people and preach to them. But let me just tell you, they're not going to listen. Go anyway. And then we flip the page, a few pages, to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, go preach to the people. Oh, by the way, they won't heed your counsel. You see, this is, this is the same thing we've seen all throughout the Bible. We go preach to people that can't hear and can't see in a spiritual way. You say, well, is this an exercise in futility? What's the point in even doing this? Well, look back at the text. What is the point? What, what is the hope we have in this, in this wonderful, impossible mission? Look what it says. It says, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants. Why do we preach Jesus? Because the God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It is mission impossible, but God created light out of nothing. And he can make blind people to see. So we go, we preach to people who can't hear, we preach to people who can't see, and we give them the gospel. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ. Our job is to shine the light of the gospel. God's job is to make blind people to see. The Puritan Thomas Watson said, Ministers knock at the door of men's hearts, but the Spirit comes with the key and opens the door. So that's our role. Don't be discouraged. Our job is to shine the light. God's job is to make blind people to see. That's the first thing we need to remember. Don't be discouraged. Expect resistance. Expect oblivion. Expect rejection. But do not give up because our God opens the eyes of the blind. That's number one. Number two, a second key that we need to come to a ministry, a gospel ministry, to shape our minds and our hearts, to be faithful in this hour, to be useful in the call that God has for us. The second key is this, the power of gospel ministry. Number two is the power of gospel ministry. On your notes there, recognize that you are the package, not the transforming treasure. Recognize that you are the package, not the transforming treasure. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure, and by this treasure, what does he mean? The treasure is the gospel, right? Okay, so we have this treasure, this gospel, this glorious gospel of light that opens blind eyes. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Where does God house His priceless, glorious 
able to put, unable to put a value on treasure of the gospel. Where does he house it? In you and in me. And, and notice here, the gospel is glorious and it is profound and it is valuable. And he puts it in a 50 cent clay pot. He puts it in a common vessel that was used for trash, for human waste. He puts it in a, a hefty garbage bag. You know, we can think, you know, the gospel is the diamond engagement ring that is housed in the cheap plastic black box of the jewelry store. You and I are like the Amazon smile box that houses your online treasures that you've purchased. My, my grandfather growing up, whether it was Christmas, whether it was a birthday, whether it was some special occasion, he always wrapped everything in newspaper and masking tape. And, and what's that? It was awesome, yeah. Uh, we, we've retained some of that tradition in our families. Newspaper and masking tape. And that you never need to know what's coming from Grandpa because you can look under the Christmas tree and it's pretty packages, pretty packages, pretty, pretty, you know, yesterday's sports page. Okay, well, that's from Grandpa. And he'd always write, he'd take a, a, a black Sharpie and he would write sideways on the masking tape our names. Well, he never called us by our real names. My name was Spike, my brother's name was Skipper, and then my little brother is Scotty, so it was just Scotty. Um, so it was Spike, Skipper, Scotty, and all on all those packages. I used to remember, Grandpa, why why don't you why don't you buy wrapping paper? Why don't you buy greeting cards like most normal people do? Why don't you do this? And and, and he he was fond of saying this. He he loved to turn a phrase. He would always say this. He says, you know what? I put my money on what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. And God does the same thing. Why does God put? the value on what's on the inside rather than what's on the outside. Look at what it says. We have the, this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. It is the treasure that transforms. That's the point, not the package. In fact, God particularly makes the package look unimpressive in order to magnify the greatness of the treasure. Why is this good news for you and I? Because you don't have to be eloquent. You don't be, have to be sophisticated. You don't have to have a polished presentation. You, you don't have to be able to preach and sound just like Pastor Terry or your favorite radio preacher because you're just the package. Your job is to go and unfold the gospel. It is the gospel that transforms. It is the treasure that transforms. Don't let a lack of sophistication keep you from engaging in gospel ministry because you fear well, it's just not going to be polished enough. The value is what's on the inside, not on the outside. The power of gospel ministry. You know what else that does? There's a place to persuade. There's a, there's a place to argue in a godly way with Jesus' name. There, there's a place 
for dialogue and discourse and back and forth. But you know what this does? This takes the pressure off or you or I to convince somebody that they need Jesus. You and I don't save anybody. Jesus saves. The gospel transforms. It is not about having the right argument. It's about being faithful to the right message. So the nature of gospel ministry, the, it, it, is, it is battling satanic blindness with the glorious light of the gospel. The power of gospel ministry to recognize that, that you are the package, not the transforming treasure. Let's put the light on the treasure. Let's get the treasure out. Let's not worry too much about the package. Number three, there's a, a third gospel key here as we strive to have the burden of this Apostle Paul for ministry, that we would be passionate about ministry, we would be effective in ministry. We need to talk, talk about number three. Number three is this. We'll call it the ache of gospel ministry. The ache like, oh, my aching back? Like, the ache of gospel ministry. Embrace hardship as the normal course of ministry that magnifies Jesus. Embrace hardship as the normal course of ministry that magnifies Jesus. Look at chapter 4, verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed but not despairing. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal body flesh. Let's stop right there. One of the reasons that we get discouraged about ministry, one of the reasons I know I am not faithful and perhaps you are not faithful sometimes as well, is that ministry is just hard. And and in some sense like having a backache, but in another sense much more painful, much more hurtful. Um, to labor for the gospel to somebody that you love dearly who continues to reject and continues to reject. And maybe, maybe it's beginning to compromise your relationship with that person. Maybe you see that relationship beginning to tear The normal course of gospel ministry is that it hurts and it's hard. But here's what Paul wants us to see. It's like going to the gym. You're not supposed to go home from the gym saying, I feel great. You're supposed to go home from the gym saying, I feel sore. I'm tired. And I hurt and I ache. Because like going to the gym... When you ache in gospel ministry, when you suffer in gospel ministry, when you're afflicted for the cause of the gospel, that doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It means you're doing something gloriously right. But it hurts. There's a cost to it. There's a sacrifice to it, isn't there? Now now notice Paul's logic here. Do you belong to Jesus? 
Who belongs to Jesus? You belong to Jesus? If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up a cross and follow me. To follow Jesus is a death march. To follow Jesus is painful. Now listen to how Paul... This is what's, what's amazing. When you and I trusted Jesus, the Bible tells us... Terry just talked about this in Romans chapter 6. You are united with Jesus in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. To follow Jesus is to be united to him. And that is so true. That is so personally applicable that Paul says here, you actually carry around the dying body of Jesus in some way that we can't totally understand this side of heaven, we experience affliction in Jesus' name. We, we carry around the, the afflictions, the suffering, the sacrifice of our Savior because we go as His body, right? As His church, as His people, in His name to this world. That's why ministry hurts. Because you're suffering, I'm suffering as our Savior suffered. No, no, don't, don't get me wrong. We understand Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, His suffering in terms of redemption and atonement is unique, complete, once for all. We're not saying we somehow participate in redemption. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, as Jesus' followers, we are called to suffer in His stead. Jesus said, if they persecute me, They will persecute you. Are you tempted to give up because it's just too hard? Are you tempted to not engage because of the sacrifice, because of the work, because of the pain, because what's in here just hurts too much and it's easier to just kind of put some distance between you and that person that needs Jesus. Because it's easier. Don't, let us not, not fall into that temptation. Why? Look at what he says here. Because as we carry about the body of the dying of Jesus, why is that? Listen to the good part. He says it two times, verse 10, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. You suffer, I suffer, we are afflicted, it is hard, it is work, it aches. But who's seen more clearly in those moments of our weakness? In our pain, in our ache, in our suffering, we see Jesus more clearly working in and through our efforts. In fact, he says it again in uh, the next verse. He says, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And because of that, Paul says, though we're crushed, we're not despairing, we're perplexed, but we're, we're, not perse- we're persecuted but not forsaken, we're struck down but not destroyed. Why? Because the life of Jesus is being manifested in and through our ministry. He's going to go on a few chapters later in chapter 12 and say, it is in your weakness and in my weakness that the grace of Jesus is most clearly seen because His power is perfected when we're at our most prophetic state. So what is hardship for? According to Paul, hardship here 
happens so that the life of Christ may be clearly seen in us. And, and this is part of evangelism. This is part of the light of the gospel. When people see Christ working in you, in your weakness, that is part of God's evangelism strategy. Look at the, look at the end of the section here. Look back at verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake. Watch this. So that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. God uses weakness in us, sacrifice in us to draw more men and women to himself who will give thanks and praise to God. Weakness is what reveals the full depth and extent of God's sufficient grace. And it's what perfects Christ's power in believers. So don't run from hardship. Expect it. Remember what it does. Remember that you need it. Remember that the gospel in God's design uses weakness to display the power and nature and person of Jesus. Don't give up because it's hard. Number four, a fourth key to gospel ministry as we strive to learn and grow and be transformed to have this perspective that we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. Number four is this, the perspective of gospel ministry. The perspective of gospel ministry. Here's the perspective. Focus on eternal, weighty glory, not temporary light affliction. Notice how the hardship of ministry, the ache of ministry flows right into this next point on the perspective because ministry is about aching, it's about hardship, it's about difficulty so that Christ can be seen in us. And then Paul says, how do you develop that perspective? Because nobody wakes up in the morning and says, hey, let's go find some hardship. Let's go do something that hurts. So how do you, how would you develop a perspective that says, I will choose a harder path today. I will choose a more difficult path today. I will go back into that relationship that is painful and hurtful. How on earth would you develop a mindset of that? Well, that's what Paul's going to talk about here. Look at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, Any amens on that? Amens? We do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Now, here's the perspective, okay? Pay attention. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And then he explains it. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are seen are not seen are eternal. Now, there's there's a fir, there's a first little thing we need to look at here. Notice what he says: We do not lose heart; our outer man is decaying; our inner man is being renewed day by day. Note: Your own growth as a Christian is essential 
to ministry success, isn't it? You will not be effective if you're not growing. If your inner man is not being renewed in the things of God and the Word of God, growing in grace each day, if your outer man is decaying and there's, something, there's not something going on in here that's growing and changing and thriving in the things of God, you won't minister. You won't do it effectively. Okay, So keep that in mind. Now, notice this perspective that he wants us to see here. Momentary light affliction. What did Paul have in mind when he said that? Just flip the page over to chapter 11. Verse 23, let's talk about some momentary light affliction, okay? Shall we do that? Momentary light affliction. Chapter 11, verse 23. Far more labors, far more imprisonment, beaten times without number. This is Paul's biography, by the way. This is his spiritual resume. Far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, Often in danger of death, verse 24, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, they threw rocks at me to try to kill me, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and day I have spent in the deep, I have been on frequent journeys journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Verse 28, and apart from all these external things, there is the daily pressure, that, that, that concern, that overwhelming internal ache of responsibility, Paul says, of concern for all the churches. And we say, momentary, light, affliction? Are you out of your mind? Actually, he's not out of his mind. He's in a very sanctified frame of mind. What will motivate us to endure hardship, to choose hardship, to, intru- to choose hurt, to, to stay in difficulty, to endure in challenges that come with ministry. It's a perspective. He says, there's these hard things in life, but to me they're momentary and they're light. And you say, how on earth do you get there? Because his focus is on the things that are not seen. You see that? The things that are not seen. The things. What are the things that are not seen, by the way? What, what is that? Is that like air and... Nitrogen molecules and what is it? Spiritual things. Things that you can't see with your physical eyes. You notice the, the, the theme here? Paul's into this visual thing. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they can't see the light of the gospel. God shines light so they can see. Notice here, we're tempted to look at all those things that we can see with our eyes and that leads to Ministry unfaithfulness. He says, don't look at the things you can see with your eyes. Look at the things that you can't see, that you know of because of the Scripture. Now, he says, there are these eternal, weighty things of great glory. And and there's actually a play on words there because the Hebrew word for glory means weight. So it's like he's, he's piling up what it means, these glorious, wonderful splendorous, amazing things. So here's the question. 
what could you invest in that would lead to an eternal weight of glory? Government bonds, right? No. Um, What is it? Talk to me. What is it? It's people. It's the ministry of the gospel to people. Think of one person that you love dearly who doesn't know Jesus. Is there anything you would not do to see that person come to faith? Is there anything that you would not sacrifice? That you would not go without? Is there anything that you would not endure so that that loved one would know Jesus? Is there? You'd do anything, wouldn't you? You'd endure anything. That's what he's talking about. Take that perspective that you have right now. I would do anything. I would endure anything. And Paul says, live like that every day. You focus on that weighty, eternal glory that comes when you invest in the life of another person, even though it's difficult and hard. That's what's, that's worth living for, isn't it? All this other stuff. Read Second Peter. It all burns up. We must fight every day to keep that perspective. Ask yourself this question. What is the spiritual return on my ministry affliction investment? Is it worth it? Oh, it's worth it. It's worth it. Number five, the goal of gospel ministry. The goal of gospel ministry. Verse nine, therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. The goal of gospel ministry is simply this. Make it your aim to please the Lord in all things. Make it your aim to please the Lord in all things. That is our goal. Paul's having this this wrestling match in his mind. He's thinking, is it better to go to heaven and be with Christ or is it better to be here and continue to minister? And he says, you know what? I don't care because whether I am there or whether I am here, I have one aim, one goal, one aspiration, one ambition, and it is this, to be pleasing to God in all things. Now, you've got to remember with me, that is the goal of ministry. The goal is to be pleasing to God in ministry. That's ministry success. Look down. In fact, this is actually why Jesus died, believe it or not. Look down at chapter 5, verse 15 for a moment. It says, uh, and he died, Jesus died, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Jesus died on the cross to rescue you and to rescue me from the bondage of living for ourselves. From the destruction that comes from a life of pursuing things for me. He rescues us from that. And He calls us to a life of living for Him. And when we think about ministry, 
We think, oh, I've just got to say the right words. I've, I've, got, to, I've got to be sure to make this good argument. No, no, no. The, the, the goal of ministry is to be found pleasing to your God. And there is one main way that we are found pleasing to God when we think about gospel ministry. It comes down to one word, and it's faithfulness. Spirit-enabled, Christ-empowered faithfulness. Do not fall into the trap that even if after years of gospel ministry to a loved one and they're still not converted, do not fall into the trap that you failed. In fact, you need to go get get to know somebody in the Bible. Go get to know Mr. Jeremiah. Go get to know the prophets of old who labored for years, for decades, many of whom saw very little success. But, oh, they were faithful. They were successful in the eyes of God. Do not forget the success of ministry is faithfulness. It's pleasing your God in all things. Number six. Number six. I like this one. The propulsion of ministry. The propulsion of ministry. Anyone stay up real, real late to, or get up really early to see the rocket that went up? Big rocket heading to the sun. Really? Nobody did that? Okay. Well, there was a big rocket that is on its way to the sun right now. Um, the propulsion of ministry. You remember the space shuttle? Remember the space shuttle? They retired it several years ago. And the space shuttle had two big white rockets on either side that were part of its propulsion system. Okay? So think of those two big rockets. There are two big engines, two big rockets, two big motors that propel us in gospel ministry, just like space shuttle. We'll call this the propulsion of gospel ministry. Here's the two rockets. Be energized by the fear of Christ and preoccupied with the love of Christ. Be energized by the fear of Christ. Be occupied by or with the love of Christ. Look at chapter 5 now in verse 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Here's the first rocket. Here's the first propulsion engine, okay? Therefore, knowing the, what does it say? The fear of the Lord, we persuade men. That's number one. We are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. But we are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. Verse 13, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of a sound mind, it is for you. Here's rocket engine number two, verse 14, For the love of Christ, my Bible says, controls us. Your Bible might say, compels us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. So these are the twin engines of gospel propulsion, of ministry energy. Notice the first one is fear. Now this is not like, oh my, I'm scared, I'm going to die, fear. This is what we might call awe, dread. You will stand before your king one day. You will stand before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. 
you will stand before your Savior and Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who spoke all creation into existence, who sustains it all by the word of his power. You will stand before the one who lived and died in your place so that you could be reconciled to God. And you will stand before him as his agent, as his representative, as his ambassador. And he will ask you, how'd you do? Do you think about that? Do you think about standing before the one who sacrificed so much for you? The one in whose presence, the Bible says, the stars and the luminaries melt? He says, how'd you do? And the next verse says, knowing that fear, knowing that awe, dread, we persuade men. You will not lack motivation. You will not lack spiritual propulsion in gospel ministry if you think about that day. If you meditate on that day. If you have any sort of daydream of how you want that conversation to go. We, we dare not fear people. Fearing people, Proverbs says, is a snare. But the fear of the Lord leads to life and confidence and gospel ministry faithfulness. That's, that's the first engine, right? Fear, this awe dread as you stand before Him. Notice also the second engine, the second rocket motor here. It's the love of Christ. Oh, the, the love of Christ. And he says, the love of Christ, and then there's this little word there, your Bible might say compel or control, and it's a weird word. It says, it, it, it can actually mean two things, and it may have the same idea, but, but let me see if I can explain it to you. That word compel or control, it means to be preoccupied with. It means to be absorbed. Th- this is, this is, where your mind goes to. It's what you focus on. It's what you talk about. It's, it's that thing on your mind that you can't get out. And he says, if you're so preoccupied with this love that Christ has shown you in the gospel, with what he's done for you in his life and death and resurrection, to be absorbed and preoccupied and focused on that, what does it do? Oh, it, mo- it will motivate you, man. You'll want to get out your door and share that love. So that other people can be recipients and know that great love as you have known. So it's a preoccupation that leads to propulsion, we might say. It's a contemplation that leads to compelling or controlling. That's where our mind ought to focus. And if you lack, if you lack motivation for gospel ministry, if you feel like you just don't have it in you, Will you go this week and will you meditate on that great day when you will stand before your Savior until you believe that that day is actually coming and then you come away from that and you study the Gospels, you study the letters of the love of Christ that He has shown you in the Gospel and you don't get up until you can't find somebody who needs Jesus and share it with them. Okay, so that was the introduction. 
Here's number seven. This is why we're here. What is our actual role in gospel ministry? Our role in gospel ministry. This is the last key. Daily engage your awesome duty as God's reconciliation reconciliation agent. Your role in gospel ministry is this. Daily engage your awesome duty as God's reconciliation agent. The word here, the word that best describes you and me is ambassador. You and I represent the person and the agenda of someone else who is far greater than us and whom we've been commissioned by to go in his stead. Notice notice how this breaks down. This is so helpful. We are ambassadors representing the king of kings himself. We are agents bringing the good news of reconciliation. Notice with me first the identity of the ambassador, the identity, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. There is joy, brothers and sisters, in ministry. We go not as ambassadors of doom and gloom and, and a, an Eeyore-ism. Oh, woe is me. No, we go as new creatures, as transformed creatures, as those who have been bought with a price. And have been called by this great God who saved us to minister on his behalf. This is our identity. This is how we think of ourselves as new creatures that God has redeemed for his own purposes. And it is out of that new position. Listen, it is out of that new position and out of that new identity that we embrace our calling as ambassadors. Okay, that's number one, identity. Number two, notice the function of the ambassador. Verse 18, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. This is the gospel. God was in Christ, right? Jesus is 100% God. And what is he doing? He is the one mediator between God and men. So God is in Christ and Christ is manufacturing. He's, he's designing, building, carrying out the engine that will accomplish reconciliation between God and sinners. Okay, you got it? So that's what Jesus is doing. And, and notice what it says here. And then, verse 18, he gave to, what's the pronoun? Us. Does that not blow you away? The most profound message in the world he entrusts to those clay pots. Namely, in case you didn't get it, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. How did he do it? By not counting their trespasses against them and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we carry out this ministry of reconciliation. We are the clay pot carrying the gospel. And never ever forget that the heart of the gospel is reconciliation. Nothing else in the gospel matters if reconciliation doesn't happen. So our identity, our function, notice our job description. The job description of the ambassador. Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, hang on. Your seatbelt fastened? Is your seatbelt fastened? I'm I'm serious. Okay, hang on. Verse 20. We are ambassadors for Christ. Watch this. As though God were making an appeal through you and through me. 
That's your job. That's my job. God is making His appeal through you and through me. That's His plan. And He commits to us the word of reconciliation. And finally, what's our message? It's the gospel in one verse. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Christ, our great substitute, takes our sin and pays for it in our place. He goes and through His life, He earns righteousness. He earns the perfect um, the perfect duty of the law on our behalf completed and He credits it to our account. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Terry calls this the gospel in one word. Substitution. And then we have a chapter break that's unfortunate because the thought continues. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. The urgency of the ambassador. We've got to get this one. Working together with Him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, in a favorable time I listened to you and a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There is a strain here and there is an urgency here. As we go as ambassadors, we go believing, embracing, and motivated by the fact that today is the day of salvation. One of my historic mentors, the Puritan Richard Baxter, wrote these words. Take heed to yourselves, for you have a heaven to win or lose and souls that must be happy or miserable forever. And so he was fond of this statement. I minister as one that would ne'er preach again as a dying man to dying men. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would take these things to heart and it would motivate us to be faithful to you in gospel ministry for your glory and for the salvation of the lost. In Jesus' name, amen.